1: Why are Christians referred to as converts? That doesn't just mean being converted to a certain religious worldview. It's far deeper than that. It's only found one time in the entirety of the Word of God, and that's in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 27. But there is a profound application of that term that stretches from Genesis to Revelation. It's about The conversion process that is going on in each one of us individually and in the body of Christ as a whole. See, life is all about a process, and it's a process filled with purpose and a process that is filled with problems. But in the midst of the problems, because of the purpose, the process is going to prevail in you by the grace and the mercy of God. And it's a conversion process that is taking you from the depths of separation from God, the darkness that's invaded your souls, the satanic curse that's invaded this world, and lifting us all the way up to the image of of the almighty God himself. That's what it means to be a convert. Again, let me reemphasize it's not just becoming an adherent of some particular religious worldview. It is a supernatural transformational process that's happening on a daily basis. Now let me read the verse. Isaiah chapter one, verse 27 says, Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness. Let me repeat. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. The Hebrew word that is translated converts is the word shub, S-H-U-B in our English alphabet. And the curious thing about that word is this. It has a triune meaning. It means to turn away from to turn toward, and to return. So it's talking about a process, to turn away from, to turn toward, and to return. And there's a couple of scriptures where that Hebrew word is used, and it's translated into the word turn instead of the word convert, that really brings out the flavor of its meaning. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? And of course, that's not only physical death, but spiritual death as well. The word translated turn there is shub the same Hebrew word translated converts. So it means first to turn away from evil that ultimately ends in death, mental death, emotional death, spiritual death, physical death, and ultimately what is called the second death. But Joel uses it in a much more positive sense. In chapter two, verse 12, the prophet Joel said, now therefore says the Lord, turn to me, with all of your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Again, the Hebrew word is turn. It's not talking about turning away from evil now, but it's talking about turning toward God. And ultimately doing this causes us to return to something that Adam relinquished in the garden. Really two things he relinquished, the image of God and shared dominion. And when he came under the authority of Satan, the image of God was marred and dominion was lost. But we are returning to that through the conversion process. Now, we need God's help. This is not just something we do on our own. It's something God needs to help us with. And Jeremiah 31, 18 reveals that. The prophet is talking about Ephraim. And Ephraim was another name for the northern kingdom of Israel when there was a split in Israel. And he said, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself, saying, thou hast chastised me. And I was chastised, talking to God, as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. In other words, rebellious, and they were living according to their own will, not according to God's will but then the prophet said turn thou me and i shall be turned for thou art the lord my god in other words speaking in behalf of the northern kingdom of israel he's saying if you will just turn us we will be turned recognizing that it takes the intervention of god for any of us to change to turn away from evil to turn toward God, turn toward righteousness, turn toward purpose, and to return to what Adam lost in the garden, which is, on the highest level, intimacy with God. There are two primary ways that God effects this return in us and this transformational process, this conversion process. Have you ever seen a converter? For instance, they have converters in dams that take the motion of the water that flows through the dam and then converts that motion energy into electrical energy. And then, of course, houses and businesses are powered and much good is accomplished. But it requires a converter. Well, God has certain things that act as converters in our life. And when our life pours through that converter, It comes out completely different. Something happens. It's transformational. Let me give you the two main means of conversion that God uses on a daily basis. First of all, the Word of God. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Why don't you quote that with me right now, wherever you're at? The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. Now, in the Old Testament, when you find a reference to the quote-unquote law, it's referencing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the psalmist said that the law was perfect in converting what? In converting the soul. But that's not the only part of you. You're made up of three things, spirit, soul, and body. The law can't really convert the spirit, but it can change and transform the soul if someone yields to the influence of the commandments that God gives. Now, of course, we're in a new age, and the law, in many of its facets, is no longer relevant as it was in the beginning. For instance, the ceremonial laws and the dietary laws are no longer required for righteousness sake. But anyway, what is the soul? The soul is comprised of three things, the mind, the will, and the emotions, which are all in a fallen state prior to coming into a covenant relationship with God. Our mind is filled with confusions and deceptions Our emotions are filled with all kinds of negative things like depression, discouragement, hate, guilt, bitterness, unforgiveness, and a host of other negatives. And our will is broken. We're barely surviving. But if you make a decision to yield to the transformational process, to yield to the conversion process, it's very similar to something I witnessed as a boy. See, when I was growing up, I was intrigued with nature. I loved critters. (laughs) God bless my mother for putting up with it. I had a snake collection. I had uh, a tarantula collection. I had uh, all kinds of bugs and lizards. I had a scorpion collection. But the thing that was most captivating to me is my collection of cocoons every year. I would go out in the woods all around the house where we lived, and I would collect cocoons and tape them to the walls of my bedroom. Again, God bless my mother for allowing me to be a full-fledged boy. And the thing that always amazed me is how different what those creatures were before the cocoon stage And after the cocoon stage, just little roly-poly caterpillars, sometimes with dozens or more legs crawling from one place to another earthbound, submit to the temporary look of death for a season, retreating into the confines of that cocoon, only to emerge a few months later totally changed completely changed. So much so, you would never recognize what that thing was prior to the process that took place in the cocoon. And strangely, it would almost always happen about the same time. Every spring, within two or three days, all of the cocoons would start breaking open simultaneously. It was like this inner instinct said, it's time to break out. (laughs) And they would emerge. Most of them, I guess, because of the region we were in, were monarch butterflies. And they would break out of the cocoon and they would land on my bedpost or on my knuckle or on my nose. (laughs) And for a long time, they would just sit there almost motionless and then start moving their wings up and down very slowly hundreds of times preparing themselves for flight. And I got a real message from that years later that we're preparing ourselves for flight in a sense. We're going to rise to meet Jesus in the air. We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye we're going to put off mortality and put on immortality. We're going to see these natural bodies changed in just the blink of a divine moment into glorified forms in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But we're in that slow motion stage of preparing ourselves for what is yet to come. We're still in the process. We're being converted. Now, I want to retreat back to Psalm 19 verse 7 that says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That was true back in the Old Testament when the law or the word of God was an outer influence. It was God's mandate full of 613 commandments that constrained human behavior, and those who yielded to it changed their lifestyle, and it had an effect on them mentally, emotionally, and on their will. So they were changed in their thinking, changed in their emotional response to life, because they submitted to the outward influence of the Word of God that constrained carnal behavior and caused them to walk in a God-pleasing way. But there was no internal transformation that resulted from that. It just changed and transformed the soul. But there's three parts of you the spirit, the soul, and the body. The Old Testament way of doing things couldn't affect your spirit because the spirit was still dead in trespasses and sins. That would not be converted until Jesus paid the price on Calvary and sent back the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then when God could dwell within us, then we have more than the law converting the soul, we have the gospel converting the spirit because we receive a new spirit and we receive a new heart, and God writes his law in our hearts. It's not external, it's internal. It's a much greater conversion process. And the new you is just as different from the old you as the butterfly is as compared to the caterpillar. You were earthbound prior to the experience of being born again, but now you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So let's walk in that newness of spirit. Let's walk in that newness of life. Let's walk as if we are changed people. We're not the same old man or woman that we used to be. We're changed. We're born again. Now, the other converter that is now internal was external under the Old Testament, but internal in the New Testament is the spirit of God. God always changes people through the word and through the spirit. They work together. Neither one is sufficient by itself. And in Proverbs chapter one, verse 23, the word shoe again is used. And God said, turn at my rebuke, translated turn instead of convert or converts. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. So now God introduces a new aspect of the conversion process. We're not only changed by the Word, but we're changed by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's job is to do that very thing. Jesus indicated that in the New Testament, in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Listen closely now. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Three things. Notice this. The Holy Spirit will convict or convince or reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He said, of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is judged. That's the same threefold process of conversion. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin so that we will turn away from the old nature, the evil way of living and doing things. But then he convicts us of righteousness, Jesus said, because I go to my father and you see me no more. So, the example of righteousness is gone, but the Holy Spirit within us quickens us with a desire to be like him. So, we turn away from sin, convicted of sin. We turn toward God, inclining our heart toward this desire of being like Jesus, and we return. Because we realize the prince of this world is judged. He came under judgment. God judged between the fallen and the one who caused the fall. He judged between those infected by the fallen nature and the one who caused the infection. And he decided the one who caused the infection was the one who was worthy of judgment and of greater guilt. And so he brought judgment on the enemy at the cross. And that's when Satan was openly spoiled, He was stripped of the authority that he gained in the Garden of Eden, and he was stripped of the dominion he robbed Adam of, and also God returned to us that image. That image was achievable again. That image, the process of becoming like the Lord Jesus, was inserted into our lives by the Most High God. Now, let me give you one more scripture and then we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 says, we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. That's talking about the two converting processes in our lives, the influence of the word, the influence of the spirit. Because in James's writings, he likened the word of God to a mirror. And he talked about how in the natural, we look in a mirror and then we walk away and forget what manner we are, what kind of appearance we have, what kind of features we have. And then we'll go back and look in the mirror again, and we walk away and forget what manner of man or woman we are. And then we have to remind ourselves over and over again by gazing in the mirror what our appearance looks like. Not in an egotistical way, it's just the way life is. Well, in like manner, the word of God is a mirror and it reflects the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look into the mirror of the word of God and see the one who was the word made flesh. And we see a reflection of what we are to be what we are to act like, who we are to become like. And so there's a process of change. We see it reflected in the word, and then that's activated in us by the spirit and both are contained in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We see his glory reflected in the mirror of the word of God. And by looking at him, when we see him, we become like him, for we see him as he is. And that happens by the spirit of the Lord. I want to close with this fantastic thought that the word translated transformed in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho, from which we get our word metamorphosis. And metamorphosis is what the butterfly emerges from. That's the process It's the process of metamorphosis that totally changes an earthbound caterpillar to a butterfly that can take flight in a total change of appearance and nature. And that's what God is affecting in you, a metamorphosis, because you are one of Zion's converts. And in the next episode, I'll talk about why God said Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness. Why is it connected with the idea of Zion? What is Zion? What does that word apply to and why are we referred to as Zion's converts? That's the next episode.